3: Welcome to a brand new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call 210- 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630- KSLR at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at CalvarySA.com Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I don't know if it's still raining out there, but it's been raining this afternoon. If you're in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now, button at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great Mother's Day yesterday. Hope your day in church was great. I hope people got saved. That's the important thing. And uh, we had a, a great day here yesterday. Yesterday, we we do something um it, we kind of lost the the tradition over the covid breaks but um we, we had a cultural dress day and people could dress in their native culture uh, apparel it was really good. It really neat to see uh, some of the people and how beautiful they look the ladies in particular um so I hope you had a good day as well yesterday. Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies are on at seven o'clock. Ladies, you can watch uh, on stream or on online at uh, calvarysa.com and. Um, uh, it's at seven o'clock, it's better if you're here because you can participate in the question and answer session that goes afterwards. Uh, but Paula will be doing the teaching tonight, and then we're going to take a two-week break while we get through all of the school stuff. This is a crazy busy time of year for us, and then when we come back on June fifth, it will be the first installment of our annual Sweet Summer Devotion Series, uh, which we've talked about a lot on the program. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, tonight, Pastor Kin is out of town. By the way, Pastor Ken's son, Caleb, graduated uh, from USC, summa cum laude. And uh, we're really thrilled and proud of him. Uh, so that's where Pastor Ken and his family has been uh, for the last few days. Uh, really, really a neat time. But th- that means uh, Dr. Peter Paley, Pastor Peter Paley, will be teaching tonight uh, on the the men's side. Of course, our youth studies high school and junior high school uh, will be going on with Pastor Chris and Matthew, uh, who you heard on this program on Friday. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I'm so proud of those young men. Um, They they do a wonderful, wonderful job with the youth. So um, let's get to questions. Wait, I'm told now. Uh, I've got a call. No. I've got a follow-up from a call on Thursday from Art. Uh, it says, when he was in the hospital, a technician there talking about the flat earth theory. What are your thoughts on that? You know, um, Art, I, I told you I'd go really deep into this. But you know what? I don't even want to give it any credibility. It is it is absolute nonsense, conspiracy nonsense. And uh, just don't bother. Read your Bible. The Bible says that we're a sphere in space and uh, that's all we really need to know but stay away don't invest even a moment of your time in these conspiracy theory nut cases so the flat earth theory is just um, it's not a theory at all it's it's nonsense okay let's get to our first question of the day this one was sent in from princess from our email inbox princess it's really nice to hear from you again it's been a little while Uh, Pastor Ron, is there a good reading plan you could recommend? I feel like I'm bouncing around the Bible. I would like to read and study more systematically. Thank you for your time. Princess, um, you know, as I mentioned to a couple of callers last week that had similar questions, I think the most important thing is discipline. Just do it. Some of the Bible is very laborious to get through. Uh, Others, of course, uh, parts of it are are thrilling. But just do it. Just set aside the time and do it. And uh, I think the other thing I would say to you is remember, the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books. Contained one volume. But it's 66 different books. So when you read, read at the start of a book and read through the end of the book. Now, you don't have to read it all at once. There are books, obviously, that you can do that. There are three or four chapters. There are books that are only one chapter. But these are books. They're letters that were written, and we need to read them systematically. And don't rush through it, but do it slowly enough that you can really let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. But you're not bouncing around the Bible if you're starting at a, the beginning of a book and you're, you're staying there consistently till you get to the end of that book, and then you can go somewhere else. Now, for me, Princess, and I'm going to give you two suggestions. For me, the Bible says it's living and active. Uh, it means it meets you where you are. So when I would finish one book, typically I would, I would just kind of pray and see if there was any leading of the Lord to go to another book. Um, um, sometimes there was many times there wasn't and you can't go wrong in the word somewhere but um, give the Holy Spirit a chance to sort of give you some direction because he wants to answer some of the questions that you have just remember to read from the beginning to the end of a book Um, for instance in the Gospel of John or in the Gospel any of the Gospels uh, it's going to take a little bit longer because the chapters can get very long so just do it in 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 manageable portions and don't rush because you're going to miss some stuff I'd also suggest that you have a, a legal pad or journal however it is you take notes um, as you're reading the Bible because there are going to be some questions that come up that you're going to want to make note of those questions and you don't need to find the answers right away but what you do need to do is be open to letting the Holy Spirit answer those questions with further reading and and he's going to teach you really how to study your Bible. One other thought for me. Now this is again just for me. When I got saved, now I was older, as almost forty years old, and I'd never opened a Bible, princess. And I wanted to find out what it was all about. So I was I devoured it, and I found out that if I read ten chapters a day, and for me I would start in the Old Testament. I do five chapters in the Old Testament and five chapters in the New Testament. Do that every day and then pick up where you left off the, the the next day. I do that every day. I could read through the Bible twice in a year. And I wanted to do that because I wanted to become familiar with the Bible. Um, Not just, um, you know, well, well, why is this there? And, um, you you know, especially as you're reading through the Old Testament and reading about the history, you've got to sort of get a time frame in your mind. And uh, the only way you're going to do that effectively, princess, is to just read repetitiously. So I wanted to read through the Bible twice a year. Now, that's not just the only reading you should have. That's just to give you a background, a foundation. But you also want to slow way, way down and and just have some meditative time in the Word of God. You know, Princess, one thing that I would suggest you do, you can go to our website, calvaryessay.com, and listen to the ladies' Bible studies Paula will be teaching tonight out of Psalm 119. And I don't know exactly how many weeks, but I think it's been, oh, five or six weeks maybe when the, the different ladies have been going through Psalm 119, which is all about the Word. And I'm confident that if you listen to those Bible studies, um, the the Lord will give you some clear direction and and sort of an overall picture of the word and its value in your life. Thank you, Princess. It's good to hear from you again. Um, Here is a question. This one from Samuel. Uh, do you agree with the pre-trib rapture, uh, Samuel? Yeah, very emphatically. Um, do I agree with the pre-trib rapture? It's the only. It's the only way the rapture can happen. Um, you know, the great tribulation is the wrath of God. Um, Paul writes to the churches in Thessalonica that we're not appointed unto wrath but to salvation. Jesus said that we're to pray that we'd be counted worthy to escape this great tribulation that's coming on the whole earth. Um, God's character uh, would be violated if, in fact, we believed in a mid-trib or a post-trib rapture, simply because uh, that would suggest that God can judge the righteous with the wicked. Uh, And he can't judge the righteous. Our sins have already been judged. Jesus, of course, took that judgment. And so it can only be a pre-trib rapture of the church, Samuel and and uh, that's the, the the writers of our Bible were pre-trib rapture believers, and uh, it it's the only way it can be. You know, I don't know why people try to put the church in the middle of the great tribulation. Um, it just cannot happen. Uh, Again, it would be a violation of God's character. And every doctrine that we come up with has to be a doctrine that is consistent with the nature and the character of God. So, Samuel, it's very important. Uh, it's not an essential of our historic Christian faith, but it certainly is essential to producing fruit in these last days. Jesus Himself said, "A wicked, lazy servant says, 'My master delays his coming,' and and basically that's what a mid-trib or a post-trib position is. Um, oh, he's not coming, so um, they're going to find themselves um, in in a disadvantaged position when it comes to producing fruit. So. Pre-trib rapture of the church, Samuel, if you want uh, a little boost, um, you can go to uh, my Bible study uh, at calvaryessay.com, Revelation chapter 4, the very first study that you'll see on our website in Revelation chapter 4 is always a study where I do a full treatment. Of the rapture, um, why it has to be post-trib? The pictures of the—I'm sorry, pre-trib. Why it has to be pre-trib? Um, the pictures of a pre-trib revelation rapture theory uh, that's in the uh, Old Testament, um, and then and then what Paul has to say about it, and then what John has to say about it in the Book of Revelation. So, Revelation chapter four, the first study is Revelation 4. It's just one verse. Uh, that's always a complete treatment of the rapture. Good question. Deacon asks, uh, uh, Pastor Ron, who are some of the pastors that you listen to? Um, Deacon, it changes from time to time. Um, uh, I've, I've been pretty solidly. I'm, I like some of the older guys now. Some of them were with, with Jesus. I love listening to Adrian Rogers. Uh, I'm so jealous of his voice. Um, you know, I'm not a Baptist, I'm not into topical studies, but I love the way he he treats the Word of God. I'm also a a huge fan of uh, Dr. Charles Stanley, who just went to be with the Lord uh, not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, and um, um, maybe, maybe a few more weeks than that, three or four weeks now. But uh, I, I love uh, hearing him teach. Again, I'm not a Baptist. I don't do it the way they do. But these are men that you can tell are passionate about the word. They love the word of God. They love Jesus. And it just shines through. One of the problems I have, Deacon, and uh, I, I listen to a lot. I, I, you know, I, I go to bed at night listening to other Bible teachers. Um, but um, sometimes when I get to know them, or hear things about them, I sort of lose interest because they're not living what they're teaching. I had an opportunity last week uh, to spend a couple hours with uh, Pastor Rander Draper from Maranatha Bible Church. He is one of the nicest men On the earth, and I love to hear him. I I just, he's so passionate about the word. He is completely focused on the holiness of God. So I like to listen to Rander Draper. He's a a guy who's just only a few miles from me uh, geographically, but I like listening to him. So uh, there are people that I listen to. I've got some Calvary Chapel friends that I enjoy listening to. There's a, a pastor named Joe Foch out of Philadelphia uh, who is a wonderful Bible teacher. And so I listen to him um, um, uh, on this radio station. Uh, Mike Faberis is on, and um, I like listening to him. And I, I wouldn't agree with Mike on a lot of things, but I I, I, I like the seriousness. I like... Um, the, the the scholarly approach to it. So those are some really really good guys that I can listen to. Just be careful who you're listening to. The spirit will give you discernment and lead you in the right direction. Thank you, Deacon. Good question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We would love to have your calls and questions. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Jacob. Um. Pastor, there are so many different approaches to how to do church. How do you think the services should go? And are you in favor of topical messages or preaching like fire and brimstone? <laughs> Jacob, you're listening to my voice. Now, my voice is, is, is not doing so good today. I always have a hard time on Mondays um, after doing the three services Sunday. Um, but but if you've listened to my voice at all on this program or on any of my teaching programs, I don't have a fire and brimstone voice. I, I never raise my voice. I can't yell. If I were to try to do that, it would be like heaven would crack up. Uh, because I can't be heard. So I have I have one thing I, I've been told by people that, Pastor, you put me to sleep. Well, I, what can I do? I can't do anything more than what I can do with the voice that, that I have. Um, but uh, I am not in favor of topical messages. Um, I, I get my cue from um, both Ezra and the Apostle Paul when we're told, Uh, Ezra opened the book and he read it and there were Levites, priests out in the huge crowd of people uh, explaining what he was saying, giving meaning or understanding to the reading. Uh, And that's what we do. Uh, The Apostle Paul, when he was saying his emotional farewell to the Ephesian elders, he was able to say to them, uh, I am uh, innocent of of your blood, uh, for I have... Not failed to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. And and I take that to mean, Jacob, that we teach the whole Bible. And that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. I go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, through the books of the Bible. I don't go in order. I don't start at Genesis and go all the way to Revelation. Uh, we do a Wednesday night Bible study that's always the Old Testament and then I have a Friday night Bible study that is always New Testament and then a different New Testament study on Sundays, the three services and we simply go through them I left off yesterday I think in Acts chapter 10 verse 35 and when we open our Bibles this coming Sunday we'll be in Acts chapter 10 verse 36 so I like to go through it it makes it impossible for me Makes it impossible for me to uh, leave out some hard stuff. You know, there's some stuff that you don't feel like preaching sometimes. Um, but 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 it's the whole counsel of God, so we can't avoid anything or skip anything. We go straight through the Bible. I had a funny story. We have a, a lady in our church. God bless her. Uh, her dad comes to church, and he's 95 years old. And he's he's attentive. He's strong. And uh, when I took a break for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter, the only times that we do breaks are for Christmas, Palm Sunday and Easter, every other um, service is is straight through the Bible. And and he was thrown off. He said, Pastor Ron's supposed to be starting right here. And why isn't he starting right here? Uh, it was just a break. He, he understood that finally. But uh, we, we place a huge emphasis, Jacob, on teaching through the Bible. Again, chapter by chapter verse by verse. I'm currently in the book of Acts on Sundays. I'm in the book of Galatians now on Fridays and in the book of Ezra on Wednesdays. So it's just really important to understand um, um, what God is saying and, and, and stress the continuity of the book. Now, relative to your question about how to do church, approaches to do church, I don't think that we ought to reinvent the wheel, Jacob. Um, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 tells us what the practice of the first century church was. And the emphasis was on the apostles' doctrine. That's the emphasis of teaching the word. Of course, they didn't have a New Testament then, like you and I have a New Testament, but our New Testament contains the apostles' doctrine. And so uh, what we need to do is, is follow the example that was laid out for us by the Holy Spirit in the early church. It was a a house where people could come and pray. It was a house where there could be great fellowship. There was the breaking of bread together. It would be a house of worship. These are the things that are supposed to be going on. But the emphasis was clinging to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. And again, for me, Jacob, that means the word, the word, the word. You know, um, um, I had somebody ask me, somebody who was new, uh, are you going to do a special Mother's Day message? And the answer is no. Why would I do that? It's a regular Sunday, and, and mothers need to hear the word of God as well. And we like to sort of make people feel good and and um, you know prop them up a little bit on special days. But that defeats the purpose of gathering. And I care so much about the people here. I don't want to waste their time. When they come to church, I want them to hear the word. Now, they make the, the choice about what to do with the word, but I want them to hear the word. And that's what I believe church should be done. Church should be uh, should function in a way that honors the Lord. There shouldn't be a bunch of crazy stuff going on. Um, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, uh, so our worship um, we practice self-control. There's not people running around or doing crazy things. We don't want to, to distract um, from the focus on worshiping the Lord. Uh, so so our services are orchestrated, I think, uh, along the lines of, of the model that the first century church gave us. One other comment, Jacob. Um, one of the things I would love, I'd love to have a bigger building so I could do two services instead of three. So we could make them a little bit longer, do a little bit more worship, and, and I wouldn't have to watch the clock so closely when I'm teaching. But with three services, and remember, this is different. Every culture, every time frame is different. Uh, I would love to be able to have uh, enough time that we could just sort of relax and not feel like things are going to be. we get got crowds to manage and children's church to get kids in and out of. And those kind of things so um, you know we've got 40 to 45 minutes of teaching uh, 20 minutes or so of worship for songs uh, we do announcements and uh, pretty much when that's done it's time to go so um, it's an invitation at all of the services so um, we think that's the model jacob that the first century church provided for us good question Here is a question from Anonymous. We've got three minutes. I can do this, I think. Uh, Is pornography a biblical reason for divorce? Um, Anonymous, no. The answer is no. Uh, You know, that always makes people angry when I say that. well, Well, Jesus said if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. Jesus was setting a standard in the Sermon on the Mount that was impossible to keep. So here's what we've got to understand. Well, Marital infidelity, cheating on your husband or cheating on your wife, gives the the, the victim of the cheating the right to divorce, biblical right to divorce, and, of course, then to remarry. Um, Pornography, um, while it's horrible, and and I I don't want anybody in this audience to think it's not horrible or think that I'm soft on it, it's horrible, it's demeaning, it is cheating um, in a a deeply emotional sense, um, but it's not the same as physically having a relationship uh, with someone that you're not married to. Uh, and I, I think pornography is certainly a sin and certainly insidious. Uh, I just don't believe that it is a biblical reason for divorce, Anonymous. I don't. Now, let me say this, just, just to be clear. I think when, uh, and, and this is largely a male problem, not exclusively any longer, but um, I, I think when, uh, a wife finds out that her husband is looking at pornography. We are giving the devil a chance to pummel her. That's exactly what's going to happen. He's going to start saying things like, well, if you were prettier, if you were thinner, or if you were more adventurous in bed, then uh, he wouldn't have to do this. And it shifts the blame. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to shift the blame. And, and um, you know, you, we put our wives in a position where she's competing with the fantasies and images in our, in our brains. And she can't possibly compete with that. And the, the woman that we're supposed to feel make feel beautiful and loved and precious doesn't feel any of those things anymore. And it does more damage. More pain is caused. And it's so prevalent with these devices that we carry around in our hands and pornography is available um, no matter your age. Uh, It really, really distorts the beauty of sex in a marriage that God has given us as a free gift. So not a biblical reason for divorce, but certainly causes a lot of damage. And it is a grievous sin before God, a grievous sin before God and a sin against your wives. In many cases, your children as well. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. Phones have been quiet. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: To the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 3409585 or toll-free 630 KSLR now here's Pastor Ron Arball
3: welcome back to the second half of our Monday program it's May 3409585 for your live calls and questions here is a question from Oscar Oscar sends in questions fairly regularly thank you Oscar. Uh, he says, how can I answer someone who says that hell is unfair punishment because it lasts forever? The sins are committed in time, but judgment is eternal. Um, Oscar, this is an easy one. We're all eternal beings. Now, here's what life is. You know, Hebrews 9, 27 says it's appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. In this life, we have to make a decision whether we're gonna spend eternity with Jesus or separated from him. Obviously, we call being with Jesus heaven, being separated from Jesus, that's torment, we call that hell. But the the, the fact is, and this is the foundation here, the fact is that we're all gonna spend eternity somewhere because we're all eternal. Now, if if when we died, we just died, we stopped being, that would be a different thing altogether. But the minute we're born, we're going to live somewhere forever. And we have to make that decision of our own free will while we're alive. And death is simply God honoring the choice that we made in life. He honors that choice for eternity. So, um, you know, I chose to follow Jesus. And and you want to talk about something that isn't fair. Uh, I get to be in heaven forever. I, I don't deserve to be in heaven, but Jesus permitted me to do that. Now, if somebody says, "Well I don't want to serve Jesus, what would be unfair is for God to say, "Well, you know what? I know you didn't never wanted to serve me, but I'm going to make you do it for the for eternity forever and ever and ever." Uh, that would be unfair. So we make the choice, and God honors the choice, and so it's not a matter of um, well, I send in time uh, a finite period of time." And so uh, I had to only be punished for a, for a finite period of time. Uh, we, don't, we don't get that choice. We're going to live somewhere forever. I think this is what the unbelieving world misses. We're going we're to live somewhere forever. And God allows us to make that choice, Oscar. And if I choose to be separated from God, God is going to have a broken heart, uh, but he's going to honor the choice. He will not force anyone to live with him either in time or in eternity. We make that choice. It's just that we have to make the choice in life. I had somebody say to me one time, "Well, it's not fair you know if if i if if I knew there was hell, if I knew it was real, then I would choose to serve Jesus. I told him, "Well, you know there's a lot of evidence that hell is real. All you have to do is seek the Lord, and he'll make sure you understand that." But you got to make the choice now. I, had a, I don't have anybody holding on the line, so I'm not holding. Oh, I do have somebody on the line. Okay. Well, Oscar, that's it then. I'll, maybe I'll tell that story in a minute when we come back. i have got Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thank you for calling. How are you doing? I am blessed. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, except for my voice. I'm doing really, really well. Oh, Oh, Over did he yesterday? Well, I just I don't have a strong voice. Yeah. I know that's not a shock oh. to anybody in this audience, but I don't have a strong <laughs> voice. So after three services and Friday night and three yeah, services, it's just tough.
2: I can understand, but uh, actually, I wanted to thank you again for the ten, eleven years that you've been counseling me, for you know <laughs> preaching to me, and uh, because it wasn't until the other day, the last time I called that. You know, uh, the sin I referred to, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, like I said, I don't need to go into what it is, but I, it dawned on me because those thoughts came back again. And then the scripture, I don't know what verbatim, I, I, and I know you do, uh, the scripture that says that God doesn't tempt, tempt us, and I think it says we are, we are tempted, oh, because we are drawn by our own, Temptations or something like that? Yes. Okay. okay. That's from James. And I, yes, oh, that's right. Okay, so I was thinking about it because when the stars started to come, I said, Holy Spirit, I don't right. want this. I I don't need this, you know. And I was expecting him to say, okay, pull over, Ruben. I'll drive, you know. And, and then I think I had an epiphany. I might, and correct me if I'm wrong, but then I said, you know what, it's not like that. You have to make the choice because then when that, pop, that, that scripture popped in my mind, it says I'm drawn away by my own temptation. So it's like fish fishing. You put the bait on the hook and the fish is going to look at it and see whether or not he thinks it's real or not. And then he's going to bite. And if he gets stuck, he gets stuck. You pull him out of the water and he's a goner. <laughs> same thing
3: same thing I mean I, that's that's a really good picture, because the devil's
2: doing <laughs> a lot of fishing exactly, exactly, yeah, so you get the analogy, so that's what I thought, and I said, Lord, all these years that I've heard that script, that scripture, and it never dawned on me the way that that that'cause you had told me something like that the other day and and you mm-hmm. He said, "I could hear the guilt in you, and and you don't let the enemy do this." And I said, "Lord, I'm allowing him to do that because I I get drawn away by what used to entice me. Because if it still did, I would be in it the way I was in it a long time ago."
3: Yep. Um, but and I'm not. Ruben, let me interrupt anything. just for a second. I would add also this, and this is this will help you fight. I think. Um, you you when you were when you were in it a long time ago, you didn't feel particularly guilty about it. It was just it was just no. part of your life.
2: Yeah, all, all no, of that's yes. changed and, and because that. of the work that God has. Thank you for that. Yeah. Because and and I don't want to lift you up, and I know that you're not the type of man you don't look for accolades and all that. I know you're a very very humble man. And see it it, it if it weren't for you, I'd thank God I was coming from Houston that day. And got caught in that rain, I lost the <laughs> radio station that I was listening to, and it came. I came across KSLR where I did. I thank God for that day because I remember that day like if it was yesterday. I, I was. I, it was. I just remember coming back from Houston, and I'm like, oh, but. But I just wanted to share that with you. and Encourage you. anyone out there who, who you know, you know, may fall into temptation, and then the enemy comes and tries to you know, throw that dart of guilt. You know, 'cause he'll, he's he's his his minions are there, you know, I'm thinking with their with their darts and they're you know ready to throw that dart at you to to make you feel guilty. You say, oh, I see you think you love God, but look look, look what you did it again. Yeah. But I just wanted to thank you, sir, and I appreciate you and, and your ministry and I pray for you
3: guys and I thank y'all for praying for me. Thank you, Ruben. God bless you, my friend. You mean a lot to us. You mean Thank a lot you, to son. us. It, it's amazing how God can work things together. You know, um, um, Reuben and I have never met face-to-face, and um, and yet God's deposited him, deposited him deeply into my heart. And uh, I, I think we can learn a lot. Uh, Reuben has a lot of insight for us as one who is honest about the things that he's going through. You know, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness— uh, he responded the same way. It is written. He responded with the word. Reuben also said that, that the devil is throwing those darts. He's always throwing. He never stops. He never stops. He's never going to stop pushing those buttons, uh, destroying people, tempting people. That's his job. And if he got a job performance rating, it would be five stars plus because he's really good at his job. And that's why Jesus gave us the model, we respond in the word. One of the things that I think trips a lot of people I had two calls about this very thing last week from other callers Um, you know we think, well well, why doesn't God take away those thoughts Um, Satan brings them and God wants to teach us to fight them and the way we fight them is to take the model of Jesus we we quote the word Uh, if you fall um, he's going to heap condemnation on you. We got to know Romans 8, 1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it's a simple mental exercise. Well, if there's no condemnation and, and I'm feeling condemned, what's the source of that condemnation? Well, it's certainly not the Lord. It's the devil. Why do we want to listen to anything from the devil? Uh, I always mention the same verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Um, um, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And I think that's important because so many times we think we're all alone. Nobody understands how hard this temptation is, but, but what, what he says in that verse is that everybody's going through it. This, this is just the normal course of life. And then it says, and God is faithful. And I've used this exactly with Reuben I said, Reuben, your Bible doesn't say in Reuben is faithful. It says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. In other words, you don't have to give in to the temptation. And if we respond with the word, the way Jesus taught us to do it, when he was being tempted by the devil himself, then we we don't have to fall. We don't have to make the wrong choice. And there's a, a wonderful sense of accomplishment that very first time when we realized that we stood our ground, we fought, and we had victory. And from that moment forward, we know victory is possible every single time. Really, really important. Reuben, it's been a pleasure to get to know you so well without ever having to meet you face to face. One other comment. Um, Ruben: God loved you so much that um, he was going to send somebody to you. So so, don't worry. Thank you. Appreciate your friendship. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from um, Brian. Brian says, "What do you say about people who said they? It's what the Bible says, and what the Bible says. First John chapter two, verse nineteen. Uh, John says they went out from us." Because they were never really a part of us. Now, I want to make a differentiation here. Because there are people that walk away. They backslide. They fall into sin. Um, and then because they really belong to the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit begins to work in their hearts. And eventually they come back. For some people, it's just a matter of days, weeks, or months. But, but I know people that were away from the Lord for years and years and years. And to all the world, it looked like they weren't saved. But because they were, God, the Holy Spirit, brought them back to that place of relationship. So that's really important that we understand that. But the others, and there's a lot of professing Christians, Brian, a lot of professing Christians who really have never surrendered their heart to the Lord. Uh, maybe they had an emotional conversion experience. Maybe they were in a place of desperation. Um, you know, after nine eleven, now 23 years ago, 22 years ago, um, um, you, you, you there's a lot of people that were afraid, and they made professions of faith because they were afraid. As soon as it didn't appear we were going to get attacked again, they just resumed back into their own life. They weren't saved because they got baptized. They weren't saved because they answered an invitation. Uh, God knows those who are his. Galatians chapter 6 says God knows those who are his. God will not be mocked. The problem is we don't know. So, Brian, here's, I think, the key. When you see somebody, somebody you care about, and they're living like an unbeliever, assume they are an unbeliever. That's not judgment. That's just saying, I'm I'm, I'm ascribing to you based on what I see from your life that you do or you do not belong to Jesus Christ. And when you do that, um, then... You treat them like an unbeliever. But that I mean, you, you share the gospel with them. You pray for them. Um, you, you tell them the truth. You tell them the truth in love, but you tell them the truth. And, and then God can use you to win them back. But when John said it, Peter also in his epistle talks about it. Um, you know, they were still dealing, their whole life, Judas's betrayal really, really concerned them. And when John writes, he went out from us because they weren't really part of us. That's his frame of reference. Judas, we thought he was the real deal. But if we treat them based on how they're living their lives, then and only then, Brian, are we going to be rightly representing the Lord? Really good question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Floresville. We got Vince on line one. Vince, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
4: Yes, sir. I really appreciate your Christ-centered uh, messages. Every day, well, but you. I have to correct—I have to correct an error that I believe you and many, many, many others perpetuate. The same lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the Garden: "You shall not surely die." First Corinthians—I'm sorry—First Timothy six sixteen makes it clear that only God has immortality. And you repeated multiple times in the, a couple of calls ago that you're going to spend somewhere eternity somewhere, and that is absolutely false. The soul that sins shall die. It's clear in the Bible. And you cheapen Christ's offer to people when he says choose life.
3: Okay, well, let me ask you a question. You let me stop you and ask you a question. Let me stop you and ask you a question. Would you exegete for me, John three sixteen?
4: Let me look it up just
3: a minute. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would have everlasting life. What, what does,
4: does John three
3: thirteen say? First John, I'm sorry, John three sixteen.
4: Yeah, it? What it, does, it, does it mean? God is. It means that God will grant those who repent and are baptized and accept His Son's sacrifice, He will grant them immortality. It's not something we have. We don't. We aren't born immortal souls. I'm sorry, that's just a false teaching. It's clear. John 3.13 says no one's ascended to heaven. That's another false teaching. Everybody thinks that people who die are in heaven, and they're not. They're in the grave waiting for the resurrection.
3: What does Paul mean when he says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Vince, you're you're spreading heresy, and the soul soul that
4: sins. What kind of merciful God has someone burned for eternity? That is false. There's no way.
3: That's There's separa- no way
4: that a merciful God, you can't equate the two, a mercy and burn forever. How do you equate those two?
3: That's separation from God. So, what you're suggesting is you're suggesting that when we die, physically when we die, yes. that we just cease to, to be. Go to the grave. That's, uh, uh,
4: uh, the, the, <laughs> David wrote, in the grave, there is no knowledge. There is no consciousness. There's no thought. There's nothing. After you, Or was it Solomon? It, it's, you can look it up. It's, when you die, you're unconscious. Now, Something similar to what a floppy disk would go to heaven, a record of who we are. God keeps it in the library, and when he resurrects us, he plugs it back in, and now we're there. Okay. There is no immortality of the soul. If you believe that, then why choose Jesus? There are people who mock Christians, I'll just take over hell. They're well,
3: so silly. They already have
4: eternity. Uh, okay, immortality then. is something that we don't have Inherently. It's I'm going to stop you here. I'm going to cut fun. you
3: off because you won't listen. But here's what I'm going to say. When we accept Jesus Christ, we enter into eternal life with him. But there's no punishment. There's no judgment on sin if, in fact, we simply die and stop believing. Um, the, throughout the word of God, the soul that sins will die. It's a spiritual death. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, Paul writes that to the Corinthians over and over and over. We're told that to be in his presence is eternal life. To be separated from him is eternal death. But eternal last ever believes. Now, the whosoevers that believe in him, they choose eternal life. But the whosoevers that reject him those are the people that will live in eternity. One last thing, Vince, I want you to exegete Luke chapter 16. Jesus is telling a real story. Exegete Luke chapter 16. Do it honestly. Do it without any preconceived ideas. Do it without any of your church background, um, the the things that have been drilled into your head. um, um, And I don't know whether you're coming from a Seventh-day Adventist or an extreme Church of Christ position or what your church background is. But exegete, honestly, Luke chapter 16, Vince. And if you'll exegete Luke chapter 16, Jesus, this is not a parable. It's not an illustration. He's telling a story. And there is a man who died. In fact, he makes the point that both the rich man and Lazarus died at the same time. And one went into a place of torment. The other went into the place we call paradise, and um, you, you can't exegete that, honestly, any other way. Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me live and you're going to be assigned to the grave. Very important that you're honest. And I, 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 I understand And these kind of heresies, events, are, they're deep-seated, they're demonic. Um, I understand the foothold they get. But let the word of God change your mind. Understand David's position. David said, He will see his son who died. He will go to him. David had a limited understanding of eternal life. Um, Obviously, these those of us who have the Holy Spirit, we have a a fuller explanation or understanding of what eternal life means. But the idea of eternal punishment is everywhere, including Jesus's ministry. Um, He who has sinned much will be beaten with many blows. Uh, he who has sinned less will be beaten with few blows, um, torment uh, over and over and over where the worm doesn't die. Uh, it just, uh, the, the idea of eternal torment is critical to understand because a just and holy God who has given us eternal life, that's what everlasting life means, um, to ascribe a lack of mercy to God, who is merciful, when He gives us every opportunity to escape eternal death, is really dangerous heresy. Vince, three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we only have a few more minutes left in the program. Uh, be careful now. We normally I would cut people like Vince off more quickly, because I don't want to expose this audience to heresy. But I'm always hopeful that maybe say something that the Holy Spirit will use to grab his heart. But I can tell you this, um, and, and uh, people like Vince, um, if they're truly born again, um, the Holy Spirit is screaming at Vince. This isn't true. Sometimes we like to hold on to something so much. We can't, can't imagine a God who, uh, who would allow somebody to be punished for eternity. But remember, the Bible does teach. That we are eternal beings from the moment we have breath we have to choose. Let me see. Abby says, did Jesus turn over the tables once or twice? Abby, he did it on two separate occasions. He did it at the beginning of his public ministry um, where he walked into the temple. Mount he saw uh, the money changers taking advantage of the poor, and uh, you know, sort of previews of coming attractions. But he turned the money tables over then, and sort of wrecked the the area there. Um, But he also did it at the end of his ministry. Sunday, uh, he came back in and had all night to think about what he was going to do, and his final statement, so public statement, was sort of to go in and say, "Look, I warned you at the beginning." And I'm telling you at the end, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And because you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves, I'm going to show you what my father would do. And that's exactly what he was doing. So he turned over the money changers tables twice, coming and going. And Abby, I think that's a really important statement for all of us to consider. You know, when I uh, taught this last, um, uh, in fact, it was on on Palm Sunday, um, one of the things that I said was I think that Jesus, if he were going through our churches today, would do a lot of table turning over if you go to churches, you know, churches that are marketing the people, uh, churches that are emphasizing um, giving, uh, churches that are making people feel really guilty if they don't give, um, churches had in mind were to give with a cheerful heart, with a generous heart, and give only for one reason, not so that we'll get something from him. While that may be true, spiritually a principle, but we give because of what he's already given for us. And you know what? As preachers, we don't have to make anybody feel guilty for not giving. The Holy Spirit is capable of doing that if they're not being obedient. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the program today. You've been listening to the Monday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you at 4. God bless.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4